0: 1 Samuel 17, beginning at verse 1, the story of David and Goliath. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socah in Judah. They pitched camp at Damim between Socah and Azekah, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was old and well-advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers as he was talking with them. Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And then going down to verse 32, David said to King Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, everyone loves a good underdog story, and the story of David and Goliath is perhaps one of the most well-known and beloved underdog stories of all time. The poor and humble shepherd boy who slays the giant, the young, puny hillbilly who defeats the big city champion. You can't read this story without feeling good inside. In a world that makes us feel small, David's story makes us feel like we could do anything. In a world that so often feels like the cards are stacked against us, David's story gives us hope. And that's usually how I've heard this story preached when I've heard it preached. You are the underdog, but with God's help, you too can defeat the giants in your life. Come to Jesus and you'll conquer your demons. Come to Jesus and you'll do away with doubt. You'll find answers to your questions. You'll beat your cancer. You'll dump your depression. You'll overcome your addiction to porn. You'll be set free of your desire to drink. Come to Jesus. Believe in yourself and the gifts that God has given you. And you will find that there is no obstacle too big for you to conquer. Slay your giants. And so we wake up every day ready to slay our giants. We get all hyped up and we go out into the world ready to take on the powers and principalities of darkness. But in our day-to-day lives, that's not often how it feels. It's not often how it goes. In my five years as a pastor here, I've sat with young people who were dismayed that they never had a spiritual experience that took away their doubt. I've sat with people on their deathbed who were distraught that God had not healed them. I've sat with people who are suffering, angry, and perturbed that their suffering is not being taken away from them. We wake up ready to slay our giants, but so often our giants only seem to grow. We wake up ready to fight evil, but evil never seems to lose any ground in our lives or in the world. And so we're brought to our knees and we cry out, The words of the Heidelberg Catechism, on our own we are too weak to stand, even for a moment. Too weak to hold our own, even for a moment. The gospel of prosperity may tell us that we can slay our giants. But we confess that on our own, we are too weak to hold our own, even for a moment. Imagine this story with me from a different perspective, if you will, not as David, but as a soldier in Saul's army. You're called out by King Saul to fight the Philistines. And so you put on your leather vest, you get your family sword, and you march out to join the camp. Every morning when the sun comes up, you ready yourself for battle and line up in formation. The thing about war is that it's really expensive. And so in the ancient world, rather than having two armies fight each other, smash against each other, costing both sides thousands of lives, the leaders of the armies came up with an agreement. This was pretty commonly practiced throughout the ancient world. My best fighter against your best fighter. Whoever wins, the other side concedes defeat. This was a common practice in the ancient world. We read about this not just in the Bible, but in the Iliad, uh, in other ancient texts. This was very common practice. It saves time, it saves money, it saves lives, because you really only have to spend your resources as a nation training one person to be the best fighter in the world. You only have to spend money on one suit of armor that's better than all the other suits of armor, on one set of weapons that's better than all the other sets of weapons. Instead of thousands of soldiers, you spend your money and your time and your energy on one. A duel to decide a war. And so the armies line up. The armies line up on both sides of the valley. And the Philistines send out their champion. And he's a beast. He's literally a giant Trained to kill, with the best armor and weapons that money can buy, the rulers of the Philistines have spared no expense on him. They found the biggest, baddest guy in the whole kingdom. They spent tons of money training him and hired the best blacksmiths to make him a full suit of armor fit for a king. And the Israelites... With their ragtag group of shepherds and farmers and weavers and masons. They have no one like that. The only person in Israel with a suit of armor is the king. And you can't send the king out as your champion. It's too risky. So Saul asks for a volunteer. (laughs) No one's going to do that. Are you kidding me? No one is trained for that kind of fighting. No one is equipped to go against that. By ourselves, we are too weak to hold our own, even for a moment, against that giant of a man. And so every day, These soldiers line up for battle. Every day Goliath comes forward morning and evening to issue his challenge. Every day there is no one found to face him. No one with the skill or strength or equipment to take him on. And so day after day, these soldiers get dressed Stand up. Get in line. And stand at the ready. Ready for battle if it comes to that. Day after day. Standing firm. Holding the line. Standing firm. I can imagine a number of temptations that a soldier in that army might face, and I think that they parallel the temptations that we might face in our struggle against sin. Temptation to minimize the threat, like maybe being ruled by the Philistines won't be that bad. Maybe we can just surrender, and they can be our kings for a while. I mean, we've done it before. The entire book of Judges, other nations ruled us. Here we are. We're all right. The temptation to despair, to give up hope, to run away, to tuck tail and run for the hills and hide in a cave, hoping that the Philistines never find you. Or maybe worse, the temptation to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. To think that maybe we do have the strength to take on this giant. To think that we, maybe we do have the strength. That we have power. And so why not wield it? That sin is a problem out there for other people. And we are God's righteous warriors who can use God's power to dominate our enemies. And destroy them. And then out of the grazing fields comes this kid, David, who's too young and too weak to join the army, sent by his father to see how his brothers are doing, to nourish them with bread and cheese, to encourage them with kind words from their father, words of encouragement, to bring news from them back to their father. And David comes and he sees this enemy giant. He hears his taunts against God's people. He sees the day-in, day-out torment that they face, the shame in their eyes as they stand in their battle lines listening to his mockery. And so David goes and he stands before the king and he says, let no one lose heart. On account of this Philistine, your servant will go and fight him. And David's success in a big twist that I think we miss is that he just totally changes the rules of the game. Goliath comes for a sword fight, and David brings a gun. He doesn't bother with armor, he doesn't strap on a sword. He runs out there with his sling and rips a bullet through the giant's skull. That's not fair. Goliath never stood a chance against David. And this is where I think we read the David story the wrong way. Because we aren't David in this story. We are the army. We are Saul's army. David is Jesus. This unexpected deliverer who changes the rules of the game and wins a surprising victory that nobody would have seen coming. But that was also inevitable. By ourselves, we are too weak to hold our own, even for a moment. But Jesus, Jesus changes the game. You see, sisters and brothers, throughout Jesus' ministry, we see that Satan just has no idea what Jesus is up to. The devil is playing by the old rules that he made up himself. Rules of power and domination and destruction The devil thinks this is an old-fashioned duel. And so he comes at Jesus with power and might, with King Herod and the Jewish Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the high priests and the armies of the Roman Empire. Satan comes at Jesus with all the power that the religious and political and economic forces can muster. Satan comes wielding sin and death as his weapons and brings down the condemnation of the temple and the discipline of the cross. Jesus' followers, of course, expect Jesus to match like with like. Against the religious authorities, they expect Jesus to establish a truer religion and bring people back to the heart of faith. Against the armies of Rome, they expect Jesus to raise a revolution, pass out swords, and issue the battle cry. Against the puppet king Herod, they expect Jesus to reestablish the line of David. Against the complicity and corruption of the Sanhedrin, they expect Jesus to establish a righteous and pure Jewish kingdom. Meet power with power, fight fire with fire. But Jesus is playing a different game altogether. Satan comes at him with all the power and might of evil, and Jesus comes with the gospel of grace. Satan comes with the infection, the corruption of sin, and Jesus comes bearing forgiveness of sins. Satan comes with the powers of this world that lead to death. And Jesus takes that death and bears it in his very flesh and answers it with the power of the resurrection. The kingdom of God that leads to life. Jesus changes the rules of the game and he wins The victory. Sisters and brothers, we are not David. (laughs) By ourselves, we are too weak to hold our own even for a moment. We are not David in this story. We are Saul's army. Called out day after day to stand firm in the face of an enemy that we are too weak to face on our own. That's the refrain of the apostles throughout the New Testament as they minister to Christ's followers. Stand firm. Stand firm. Do not be surprised when you face trials of many kinds. Put on the full armor of God. Resist the devil's schemes. Stay sober. Stay awake. Stand firm. And this is what we pray for when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Not for the strength to defeat our enemies. Not for the power to crush our obstacles. Not for the glory of slaying our giants. We do not think of ourselves that highly, sisters and brothers. We pray for the strength to stand firm. Praying this prayer means recognizing the reality and the power of evil, which isn't an easy thing to do. It isn't easy for us to admit to God or to ourselves that we are too weak to hold our own even for a moment against the enemies that rage against us. The prayer Jesus gives us forces us to recognize the reality and power of evil, and not just out there in the world, but in here, in our midst, in our hearts. In this life, we may never conquer the giants that face us. We may never be free of the demons that haunt us. But the gospel of Jesus Christ assures us of this. If evil is real and powerful, so is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So is the victory of our Lord over sin and death. And not only out there, not only 2,000 years ago in some historical event, but now, today, in our midst, in our hearts. The victory of our Lord over sin and death, the resurrection power of the gospel is offered to us to transform our lives, to give us the strength to stand. We prepare ourselves for battle every day, awaiting whatever may come, to stand firm, to stand firm, to stand firm. And our Lord comes to us. Our Lord comes to us. Offering us bread and drink to sustain us. Offering us his body and blood to nourish us. Offering us his word to encourage and guide us. Offering us his spirit to strengthen us. So that whatever comes our way, we may stand firm for another day and every day until our good shepherd comes and wins for us the final victory. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said. O Lord, we come before you, confessing our weakness. Confessing that we know that we are not enough to face the powers that seek to overwhelm us. Confessing our doubt, our anger, our fear. On our own, we do not have the strength to hold our own even for a moment. Strengthen us, we pray, by your word and spirit, by your flesh and blood, so that we may stand firm when we go through trials we may stand firm when we face temptation, that we may stand firm when the evil in this world threatens to overwhelm us. Strengthen us, O Lord, we pray. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.